it's a little bit wet out there and the worms are everywhere. Speaking of worms and people who know things about nature, here's our good friend, Mr. Al Back. Good morning, Al. Good morning. That was a nice save there when you said, uh, speaking of worms, and you added that little bit on the end there that yeah. kind of kind of helped a little bit. Well, have you noticed that uh, they are everywhere? Because does this mean that the ground is thawing and so the rain is bringing them out, or, or what's the deal with that? You know, there's uh, scientists have different ideas about, uh, I, I guess they'd all be, Theories. I don't know if anybody has the exact answer as to why worms engage in this behavior during a good rainfall. One theory is they come above ground. When we were kids, we always said, well, they're drowning down yeah. there. They need to come up, but it's not true because oh. they won't drown when it rains. They need moisture in the soil to breathe because they breathe through their skin. So worms can survive for days fully submerged in water in tests. But that's uh, that's what we thought, or at least I thought. When well, I that's kid, what well, what I thought too. I thought it was because their their burrows or whatever they call them are getting filled up, so they got they can't breathe. So that's what I thought too. And scientists, one theory is that they come above ground when it rains because it helps worms move more quickly than they're able to while burrowing tunnels underground. So it's a worm migration. It allows them to come up and move. And uh, it uh, apparently is worth the the risk because there's a lot of predators, a lot of birds out there just waiting for the worms to come up. There's a <clears throat> robin all over just uh, wherever you are, there's a robin there waiting for the worms. It's just that's what they do. Uh, some scientists I've heard say that the vibrations created by raindrops may draw worms to the surface when it rains. And worms may feel that those vibrations are from predators like moles moving through the soil. And just like worms will move toward a surface to escape a nearby mole, they may move the same way when it rains, thinking the vibrations caused by the rain are caused by predators. But I think if I had to pick one, it's just that it's a way that they can move. It's a way they can travel because they need that moist surface to be able to move around so i think that's probably why they're doing that but again everything is pretty much a theory and it may be something completely different than that but there's a lot of them out there now and they are celebrating spring or what they deem as spring anyway so it's uh it's one of those things that uh, i'm sure nobody hardly anybody will ever mention this as a spring sign but it certainly is a spring sign and i'm sure there are folks that look for worms every year and say boy it's spring <clears throat> I want to thank everybody at the St. Peter Library before I forget. What a beautiful library, and it was fun. Lots of folks. I told them there it was a, a lovely dawn that morning on its way to becoming a lovely day, and the yard was awash with migrants. And I searched for spring, and I found grackles that day. <laughs> grackles were just everywhere. So. Another sign of spring, and spring I seek magic. A yard-filling flock of red-winged blackbirds blackened the snow-covered ground. Uh, That was magical in my yard, and the world needs to hear their song. It's spring singing. 
and researchers from the California Polytechnic State University analyzed how the natural sounds people hear when they're outdoors affect their well-being. And they found that a chorus of birdsong increases a person's welfare. So we just feel better about the world. We feel better about ourselves when we're out there amidst the uh, beautiful songs of, uh, of birds and I, I would say sounds of nature, too. So there could be the running water or the uh, uh, frogs and toads singing or the insects calling. So those things all make us just feel better. Well, when I this weekend to, I was out and there were uh, blackbirds, thousands and thousands and thousands of blackbirds. And, you know, in those swirls that they do, it was very, very windy. But they would land, my, my sister-in-law lives uh, near Madison Lake, and, and so I was, we were sitting looking out the window, and there was, it's kind of a swampy area and a bunch of trees, and they would land on the trees, and it sounded like screaming because there's so many of them that are just deafening the sound. And then it was interesting, so they would be on the trees, and all of a sudden, a few would fly down in a kind of an open grassy area, and then all of a sudden, all the rest of them would take off from the trees and also land in that grassy area. And then they'd sit there a while, and then all of a sudden they'd take off to the next bunch of trees. What in the world are they doing? You know, it's uh, like uh, like us people. We'll see uh, a line of folks, and we'll say, <laughs> oh, I wonder what those what, what they got over there. You know, maybe I'll just walk over there and see what they got. I watch them in the yard here, and they will fly in the tree, as you say, and yeah. just sing, and they're all trying to be heard over the other bird. And then one will fly down maybe alongside the road, get yeah. some spilled corn there. So then they all fly down there, and they feed, and then a truck comes along, and they all fly back up in the tree and start singing. And uh, I was outside picking up sticks, because that's another spring sign is me out picking up sticks. And all of a sudden, it, it just... Uh, they became quiet. It was just they like they'd all adopted a cloak of silence, and they just became completely quiet, and then they all flew off, headed north. So it was, I don't know, it was like one of them said, shh, and then follow me, and away they go. And they're all, and I'm sure they went just up to the neighbor's place where they landed in a tree there and all sang again and repeated that process as they leapfrogged their way northward well i wanted to go outside and like listen sit just sit under the trees and listen so i quietly walked out but and they were oh they were at least several i don't know 100 yards away and as i was walking they all started leaving but i thought well you're in the tree singing how do you know that i'm coming toward you so what in the world i just it just shocked me because i mean i was so quiet so stealthy and it was so windy and everything and but i was so far away but yet they all got up and left just think of all those thousands of eyes. Oh, and, uh, no matter what you do, one of them's looking right at you. So they just are out there. And, you know, it could be something else, too, that uh, made them fly. It's hard telling. There might have been a bird flying overhead that was a hawk up high. It could just a blue jay was uh, getting them all riled up by calling thief, thief, thief could be so many different things that are going on there but they have all those eyes a flock is one big eye and it just looks at everything and it sees everything and it's amazing it's a uh, 
Oh, Ring, all these different security systems, a flock is better than those because they just, they see everything and they tell all the other ones and they all react as as one large bird. It's just incredible. We had so many of them here, I tried to determine by use of my Heartland grade school arithmetic how many blackbirds there were, and I reckon there were at least 14, uh, but that might have been a little low. I'd estimate it was well into the high hundreds or thousands. Uh, they, they just uh, they were everywhere. Had a much smaller flock of rusty blackbirds blew in with the last storm, and I'm always happy to see them. I want to yell, pour another cup of water into the soup. We have company when I see them. I want them to stick around. Uh, brown-headed cowbirds joined the melee on the ground under the feeders. A female cowbird was taking a break in a lilac, and two male house sparrows attacked her, and she fought back, and the battle was prolonged. Um, had her parasitizing reputation preceded her? Is that why they were... Was it over a prime perching position? Was she where they wanted to be, or was it just merely orneriness? It was interesting behavior, no matter the cause. Oh, dark-eyed juncos, I still have a pile of them here in the yard, and they're making the sounds of ray guns. And I figure the snow must go and the juncos must, too, so they're kind of passing through now. A male and female cardinal kissed on a lilac branch. He offered her a sunflower seed, and their bills touched in what I found a heartwarming moment. It's known as mate feeding and is a sign of courtship. As uh, You know, I gave my wife a chunky candy bar when courting her. <laughs> this is sort of the same kind of thing. Uh, crows walking bandy-legged over the lawn, uh, searching winter's detritus for food. A northern harrier, formerly called a marsh hawk male, was a gray glider swooping low over a field here. Uh, it, it's glorious. That's the only way I can describe all this. It's just it's glorious seeing all this thing. And pretty soon, uh, who was it, Robin Williams said, spring is when the whole world screams chirp. Uh, pretty soon the ground will be green, and, you know, you can see a lot of green in a lot of areas, but pretty soon it'll just, it'll almost scream green. Uh, Gary Matthews, Gary lives in Anchorage, Alaska, and he said flocks of common red poles, and he had a flock of bohemian waxwings, and he was wondering if I was seeing those here. I can see bohemian waxwings uh, if I head up north, and I'm lucky, northern Minnesota. Uh, most years we do have common red poles here in the winter, but uh, I had none this year. I didn't see any, and I don't think most people were seeing them, so no, Gary. Uh, Sue Steele of Albert Lee seeing some sandhill cranes. Uh, Rick Mammel of Albert Lee said, Al, I've had owls on my brain for the past days and wondering if I would hear any during the night. Well, last night in the early hours, about 3 a.m., I heard an owl apparently roosting in our backyard. It hooted for at least an hour, making me wonder if it would ever shut up so I could drift off to sleep again. Actually, rather than complaining, the bird for me was a nocturnal symphony to treasures a memory forever. That's pretty cool, Rick. He said, I believe it was a barred owl It seemed to be asking, who cooks for you, who cooks for you all? We're in the far southwest area of Albert Lee, and I've been hoping other folks heard it as well. 
I must amble around the property and grab my binoculars to scope out the trees to the immediate neighbors to see if I can spot it. The house beside us has a big bur oak with a hole in it about 150 feet from our property line that has had wood ducks roosting in it annually for several years, so I'm wondering if owls perhaps beat them to the spot this spring. A woman, a nice woman, whose name I did not get, and shame on me, from Eagle Lake showed me a photo of a leucistic house finch. And a wonderful man from Eagle Lake showed me a photo of a leucistic grackle. And it, was, hmm. it wasn't all white, but, boy, it was just piebald. Uh, it was more white than anything else. And I didn't get his name either, but uh, thank you for both those good folks. Uh, Sandy of St. Peter showed me a photo from her yard from last year. It was a photo of a fox snake and also ground squirrels in her yard. And I've, you know, I've never had ground squirrels in my yard. They're along the road not far from me here, but I've never had them, but I, I sure talk to people that do. Donna and Dwayne Swenson of rural Wasika have trumpeter swans on their farm pond. Uh, Tom Cook says, uh, we live in upper north Mankato, have fantastic views of bald eagles and a few osprey. You helped me ID one a couple of years ago, plus all sorts of waterfowl. We are close to Spring Lake, hawks, owls. I built and installed a box for barred owls last fall. No use yet. Lots of songbirds, and he sent me a photo, so I appreciate you, Tom. Uh, Molly Miller said, had a fun sighting today in a honeysuckle clump. Two song sparrows, my first of the year, and three tree sparrows, perhaps my last of the year for this spring, anyway. Jim Beale of Eagle Lake wrote, I rarely see a blue jay and haven't seen any all winter. It seems, though, if I put out peanuts in a shell, the blue jays come out of nowhere and take every peanut. How do they know that I put out peanuts? Hmm. Blue jays have trail camps. Uh, that, <laughs> I've often wondered that, too. I've been outside, and I've looked all around. I don't see any. I put a few of them in the feeder. By the time I'm back in the house, they're there. They just are incredible. It's, uh, it's, they find the peanuts by sight. They do? They don't use, yeah, they oh don't gosh. use a spotting scope or anything. They just notice them because they're always looking for food. Wow. And they check places that have proved rewarding in the past hmm. so they say that's you know that window over there has this feeder on it and sometimes there are peanuts in there so around 10:30, i'm gonna check so one blue jay will look at it and when that one blue jay sees peanuts it'll maybe land on a branch close by and it'll call loudly announcing to the world that the goobers have arrived and then a cavalry of other blue jays will come in so that'd be the extended family this uh, jay i'm sure is proud of being uh, a good provider and said i got peanuts over here you know bring your bibs and let's chow down well as far as peanuts do they care if they're stale because i know we have some peanuts have been sitting around for a while and we really don't care for them anymore because they are kind of just stale do the do the birds care or won't they eat them either uh i guess it would depend on how stale they are uh, i mean they they, they, they don't look bad they look good it's just they're not really fresh yeah they probably would eat them they don't <laughs> uh 
somebody, uh, oh, yesterday somebody asked, they said, well, they eat salted peanuts. Well, they will, but it's, it's uh, an abundance of salted peanuts is probably not good for them, just like too much salt isn't good for us necessarily. I, I love my father-in-law, but he was one of those guys, he'd get his plate of food. <laughs> And then he just put salt. Yeah, on my dad. Pretty did. much everything on the plate. And yeah. I said, shouldn't you taste that first? You <laughs> exactly. know, maybe it's salty. Yeah, you can never have too much salt, <laughs> he says. So he was. But, yeah, it, it, they probably would, you know, and you'll find out in a hurry if it's not good. Because if you put peanuts out and they're bad and the Blue Jays don't eat them, then there's, there's something wrong with But them, will so. the squirrels eat them? I bet they eat anything, so would they? They very well might, yeah. I know they like peanuts, although I, I put a few out on the ground here, and the squirrel was more interested, uh, this was a fox squirrel, he was more interested in the sunflower seeds than he oh, was in the peanuts. But, you know, that could be individual preferences, too. <laughs> he was just a sunflower squirrel, and he liked that. And then Gail feeds him a little some other things uh, every so often, special squirrel food, so they're kind of spoiled. Uh, Brenda Katasik of St. Peter said her son saw a crow chasing a rabbit, and he wondered if it was chasing the rabbit into traffic and harm's way. Hmm. Uh, crows are omnivores, meaning they eat both meat and plants, and crows survive by being both scavengers and predators. Rabbits, they tend to try to escape rather than fight back. So aside from preying on dead rabbits, crows prey upon baby bunnies, and they would, I'm sure, prey on rabbits that are ill, injured, or old. Crows are so intelligent, they could chase rabbits for practice or play. But there are a lot of reports of crows driving rabbits onto roads where they're injured or killed by cars. And whether this is done intentionally, only the crows know. A cottontail can run 30 miles an hour, but a crow can fly at a speed double that. So, Brenda, I don't know. It's very possible. I I wouldn't put anything past a crow. They're just (laughs) that smart. Miss Lona sent me a thing from the New York Times, and it says, What might be Asia's longest missing bird just came out of hiding? For the first time in 170 years, a black-browed babbler has been found in Indonesia. The discovery of it's a muted black, gray, chestnut-brown colored bird, and it solves uh, one birding guide said it was one of the great enigmas of Indonesian ornithology. But they found it, there's photos, and it's just a, a really, really cool thing. I, I read a, a book here the other day. I, I just, I'm an avid, I'm a book nut. But I read, uh, this book's been out for a while, but it was called Braiding Sweetgrass. Hmm. It's uh, in, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teaching of Plants by Robin Wall Kimmerer. She's a trained botanist and member of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation. And it's well-written. It combines the scientific with the mythic and the poetic, and it's terrific. Uh, she wrote in some native languages, the term for plants translates to those who take care of us. And she wrote that plants were our first teachers and that we should respect and care for nature by working in harmony with it. We need to give 
it we need to give in the present to get in the future and consider the gifts we are given and be thankful. It's it's a great read. I highly recommend it. And I can't remember what year it was written, but it's been out for a while. But I got around to reading it, and uh, it was very enjoyable. It was one of those books I hated to see. And Brian Smith saw Elise Sandpiper in Blue Earth County. Peter Nichols spotted a Wilson snipe in Steele County. Tom Bovers had a common loon, a brown thrasher, a yellow-bellied sapsucker, and a merlin in Rice County. Dave Barkey had an American white pelican in Rice County. Cole Bauer, a golden crown kinglet at Rice Lake State Park. And Nancy Henke had a Eurasian collar dove in Dodge County and a hermit thrush in Mauer County. I uh, have... Uh, I, I, I think there's only one fox sparrows one of my favorite sparrows they're just big a big sparrow kind of a foxy color and they're just lovely and i'm seeing one of those here which was odd i got up one morning and i told my wife i said uh, the fox sparrow should be here today and there was one there so i was so proud that uh, she thought i had <laughs> mythical powers there for a little while or mystical powers and mythical powers is what i have <laughs> And she thought I had mystical powers until she remembered she'd been married to me for a long time. Aww. So it was, <laughs> but it, it's really neat to see these birds. I uh, looked around a little bit for pelicans, but I did not see any. Uh, seeing a lot of waterfowl, uh, pretty much every kind, a lot of mergansers around now. So it's a great time. I got a nice text from somebody said, Al, you should let everyone know about the award you received from the Minnesota Ornithologist Union. Uh, that was a, a few years back, but how nice of you to uh, give me an opportunity for humble brag. Uh, a few years ago, I received the Thomas S. Roberts Memorial Award. It was the uh, MOU's Lifetime Achievement Award for Outstanding Contributions to Minnesota Ornithology and Birding. And I am delighted to be mentioned anywhere in the same sentence with Thomas Sadler Roberts, like the godfather of birding. He lived from the 1850s into the 1940s. He was a physician, and he was known for his work in ornithology, bird conversa conservation, and bird conversation. <laughs> his uh, book, The Birds of Minnesota, was a great book. And he helped establish the Bell Museum of Natural oh. History. So, well, congratulations, so Al. I want to, you know, I didn't know that either. So, congratulations. It's well deserved. Yeah, and it's one of those plaques that uh, it's it's in the shape of the state of Minnesota. So I got hmm. it on the wall here, and I'm just nice. uh, very pleased to have it. And I was surprised to get it. My wife and and uh, the MOU they cooperated collaborated yes. together to surprise me with this thing so it was it was really nice i just uh, I, I was humbled and and happy that's awesome uh, about it a lot of great folks have got that uh why is oh why is the bufflehead called the spirit duck i saw a bufflehead the other day and they're tiny little birds they're one of my favorite ducks and why are they called a spirit duck it came from the buffalo head's ability to dive to safety as soon as it saw the flash of an old muzzle loader 
So this goes way, way back. Uh, A.C. Bent wrote in his Life Histories of the North American Wildfowl in 1925 that this little bird, this little duck, can often succeed in diving at the flash of gun and thus escape being shot. And uh, I guess times were different then. Apparently they shot a lot of ducks on the water. You know, now most they wait till they fly and things to get them and shoot them. But do they do it for those times? Do they do it for sport, or do they do it to eat them? Because I, I guess I don't get it. But you know, I, I would think something yeah. you shoot would have a bunch of pellets in it or something. So why would you want to eat it? I don't know. Yeah, and they, some of both. A lot of people were, uh, oh, when they drained Big Rice Lake over here by Hollandale and Maple Island, and when they drained the lake on our place here called Mule Lake, there were protests from people because they used it for trapping and hunting and they shot ducks but uh, a lot of folks found that certain ducks taste a lot better than other ducks Hmm. Uh, mergansers that are fish-eating ducks aren't uh, i'm sure there's people like them but for the most part uh, people aren't real anxious to shoot a merganser and fix it up it's just a duck that tastes like fish is just not good on our plate or on our palate they, uh, I, my one waterfowl hunting experience as a young boy, I shot a coot, and my dad says we just don't shoot things for no reason. So <laughs> I, I had it. to fix it up, and it tastes. They call them mud hens, and boy, <laughs> I'm sure mud tasted better than that coot. And I think <laughs> oh. it destroyed my waterfowling career because I said I don't ever want to shoot anything like this. It tastes like that. I, I'm not. <laughs> But um, a lot of people that hunt like the mallards, and there's a certain number of uh, uh, ducks that are preferred, just primarily, I think, just because of uh, the taste of those things. So I have no idea how little buffleheads are. very small, and there were always people that shot things. Uh, here in Heartland, I know, and in a lot of other areas, they had a Christmas bird count, and they would go out and here in Heartland, they would divide up in two teams, and they would go out and just shoot as many. They'd get points for shooting uh, a hawk, a red-tailed hawk. They'd get points for shooting a jackrabbit, and then they'd bring this big pile afterwards, and whichever team got the most points, I believe here the other team had to fix them like a chili supper or some kind of soup supper. So... You know, there was a sport to hunting, too, as there is today. But uh, back then, they I guess our ancestors just thought there was no end to things. And you could just shoot as much as you want. It would be replaced immediately. So Yeah, we sure have it. changed our attitudes about con- conservation over the years since uh, the place, the world's getting more populated and there's just not as much habitat. In fact, during our wildlife bowl which we did with the 4-H kids they learned that 99 percent of the habitat has been taken over because of um, all the things that humans do so I mean that really doesn't leave much left for the poor animals. That's right and uh, you know those numbers are pretty true about prairie in this part mm-hmm. of the country too it's just it's gone. Uh, prairie's big sin was it raises corn too well so we just uh, it's been planted that way. See, I've got a note I, here before you go. From, from I've got one from our friend John in New Albany. He says, get ready for Al to kick the Charlie Brown football. What do you call young married spiders? 
black widows. Uh, oh, young young married spiders, not newly webs. Uh, I don't know. Newly webs. Oh, newly webs. <laughs> John, I should have got that one. Yeah. But I'm going to give myself 100 lashes with a wet noodle as soon as I get off. <laughs> or wrap yourself in a, a web or something. You know, the other night I, I was hot. Oh, man, I was hot. And I turned in bed. I bet all of you have been there. I turned mm-hmm. this way, and then I turned, and I turned, and I turned. and uh, I felt like a rotisserie chicken. I was turning that much and that hot. And I discovered my wife had sneaked an extra blanket onto the bed. Oh, that'll do it. So I was happy the cause was benign, that it wasn't a, a fever or something. And so I got up and I just I staggered to the window and I looked at, the, oh, I think it was like nine inches of snowfall at that point, more or less. And that day, or later that day, I, I serve on a board on which everyone but me is from Alaska. And I mentioned on our Zoom meeting that we'd had a snowfall, and I gave eight inches as an approximation. And I, eight instead of nine because I was trying to be modest about the weather. And a member from Haines said, well, they received, uh, they just received 17 inches. And another from Anchorage said, yeah, we got 19 inches here. And I thought, well, they won. I should have claimed nine feet. Maybe they'd believe it. A lot of them have never been to Minnesota. So they say, well, I remember snowfalls from my formative years. The amounts increase in my memory. Dylan Thomas wrote, I can never remember whether it snowed for six days and six nights when I was 12 or whether it snowed for 12 days and 12 nights when I was six. Snow adds to March Madness, which was referred to, has referred, I guess, to a form of madness or uncharacteristic behavior affecting people in March since the 1900s. The expression may come from erratic weather of the season or the harebrained behavior of hares, the NCAA's March Madness incites insanity. But Percy Best Shelley wrote, If winter comes, can spring be far behind? Some pessimistic Minnesotans maintained that if spring comes, winter can't be far behind. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Remember, Heartland is well worth driving past. Uh, I, I hope you have the best day of I hope it's a day better than any you ever dreamed of. And so get out there and do something wild today. It's a great day to go out and look at a bird, see a fox barrel, see a pelican. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company. Hey, thanks, Al. We'll be back next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome to MN19.